Good morning, good afternoon, bonjour, bonsoir, que passe, mi amigo, shalom, wassalam alaikum, my brothers and sisters, namaste, konnichiwa, Wendell's World in Sports with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I hope everybody's doing fantastic. Just giving you a preview of what I'm going to be speaking about today on my podcast. But before I do, I need for you to do this. I need for you to go to where you listen to your favorite podcast. And I need for you to type in W-E-N-D-E-L-L apostrophe S, World in Sports. Then I need for you to download, subscribe, rate, review, follow the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. Yours truly, Wendell Wallace, starring in Wendell's World of Sports. There's a lot of thing, things that I uh, discussed and got into today on my podcast. Spoke about the NFL Week 13, Baltimore going for it on, uh, for the go-ahead score against uh, Pittsburgh, the two-point conversion. Was it a good move? Was it a bad move? Are we really questioning that? I'm sorry, how much does John Harbaugh, in terms of his equity with the team, have for him to even think twice about the ramifications of him going for it on fourth down or going for it for the two-point conversion to win the game? Man, this is a situation where he ain't Dan Campbell. He ain't Mike Zimmer. He ain't one of these guys that are on the hot seat. He's got enough equity. He has enough trust. He has enough love with his players and the organization. He has enough money in the account. He has enough equity in the bank to go ahead and do those things. And it was a fantastic play. It was a great play. It wasn't Jim Harbaugh's uh, um, mistake. It wasn't Jim Harbaugh's fault that um, Lamar missed uh, Mark Andrews on a path that should have been made in a two-point conversion that should have been converted. Don't put that on. Don't put that on Harbaugh. Thought I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought the rationalization afterwards in which he explained was uh, spot on, which was right on. So, hey, there you go. Nothing wrong with that. So, Baltimore still in the playoffs. They fall from number one to number three. New England still at number one. So, I went ahead and talked about that. I went ahead and talked about the New England and Buffalo game. I went ahead and spoke about the Detroit Lions, man. The Detroit Lions getting their first victory of the season and dedicating the victory to the victims of the school massacre up in uh, their state, the high school massacre. So I thought that was great. I thought that was uh, fantastic. And I thought, you know, for the Detroit Lions, good for you, man. Good for you to finally get that win. I know that for some of the diehard Lions fans who want to think big picture about the uh, team moving forward, the fact that, hey, man, the win means that we fell from having the number one pick in the draft. In the draft. Don't worry about it. There's not a Trevor Lawrence, there's not a Justin Fields, there's not a franchise quarterback, there's not even a, I guess, potential uh, starting quarterback in this draft for him, for them to be drafted number one. So I think in this year's draft, whether you're the first pick or whether you're drafting number one or number three or number five, something tells me that you're still going to be able to get a pretty doggone good player. So moving forward in all of this, you know, I mentioned before, a good win for the Lions, embarrassment, bewilderment for the Minnesota Vikings. I spoke about coaches on the hot seat. Man, Mike Zimmer, unless the uh, Minnesota Vikings make the playoffs, I don't see how, I don't see how there's any way Mike Zimmer comes back and becomes the coach and remains the coach of the uh, Vikings after this defeat. That was uh, that was pretty embarrassing, especially when you're speaking about the fact that these guys are in a tight playoff race, especially when you have the Washington football team now winners of four games in a row taking over as far as being in the playoffs if the season ended today. If you're speaking about a missed opportunity for Minnesota to get back into things when the San Francisco 49ers who beat the Vikings the week before, they go up to Seattle, they lose, 
And Minnesota misses an opportunity like that because you're losing to the Detroit Lions, who haven't won a football game in 11 games this season. Inexcusable, unacceptable if you're the organization for the Vikings. And I've mentioned before, Mike Zimmer already starting the season on the hot seat. Again, if the Vikings don't make the playoffs, say bye-bye to the employment for Mike Zimmer being employed by the Minnesota Vikings. I also spoke about here on Wendell's World of Sports Podcast, also spoke about the uh, coaching, college coaching, just when you thought the coaching carousel was to side with Lincoln Riley getting the job at USC, Brian Kelly with his now Southern accent going down to Baton Rouge and becoming the coach at LSU. We hear the news about Marcus Freeman being elevated from defensive coordinator to being the next head coach for Notre Dame. I have my thoughts and feelings about that. Also, I don't know what's going on here with uh, Oregon. I don't know what's going on here with Miami, but you know, you have Mario Cristobal and all of his shenanigans. You have uh, Oklahoma finally getting the coach that they uh, wanted if they had to get him with Brent Venable. So I talk about that. So talk about the impact of Lincoln Riley already having on the on the uh, Pac-12. So I get into those type of things. Then I move over and I'm speaking about these uh, final four for the uh, college football, man. Alabama, number one, Michigan, number two, Georgia, number three, Cincinnati, number four. Spoke about the conference championships, some of the conference championships on Saturday, Alabama over Georgia. What does that mean? Not more for Alabama in terms of their victory over Georgia. Probably, and I mentioned this before, probably the first time in a long time that Nick Saban uh, came into a game that he was the underdog. But what does it mean for Georgia? What does it mean for them both physically and mentally? The fact that this was a team that wasn't touched the entire year. The fact that this was a team that came into this SEC championship game with a historically great defense. What does it mean for them moving forward? Now, their psyche. Can we beat Alabama? Are we good enough to beat Alabama? Is Stetson Bennett going to be our guy? Is Stetson Bennett the reason why we didn't win this game? Is Stetson Bennett going to be the roadblock for us to get into the championship? JT Daniels? Really, JT Daniels? Do you think it's the answer? How many games did JT Daniels play this season? And now all of a sudden you're going to get him in less than a month ready to compete against the... Um, Michigan's and possibly the Ohio State's of the world, excuse me, the Alabama's of the world. I don't know. I don't know. So we talk about that. We talk about Michigan destruction over Iowa, and everybody's talking about redemption for Jim Harbaugh. What redemption? Although the criticism that was coming down on Jim Harbaugh was warranted. That wasn't unfair. Now, you were speaking about he needs to be fired and all that kind of stuff. That might have been going a little bit overboard. But, um, you know, all of the criticism, the fact that he couldn't win a big game, the fact that he didn't beat Ohio State, the fact that he couldn't beat Michigan State, the fact that he had such a porous record against top 10 teams, the fact that the money that he was making, you add that up to the results that were being put out there. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh. Uh, deserve the criticism that he got. So this vindication with Jim Harbaugh, remember, it's been one year. Again, I'm not telling that Michigan State or excuse me, Michigan needs to fire the guy or anything, but I thought that was just a little bit silly. So I went ahead and I spoke about that, spoke about Cincinnati, first Power 5, non-Power 5 team, getting into the playoffs. So what does it mean? What type of pressure do they have? You know, when you're a minority and you're the first to do something where the majority and the privileged don't want you there, don't think that you can do it, think that you're uh, inferior to them. What does it mean for Cincinnati going up against Alabama? Beating them, of course, would be, you know, just, you know, remember the Titans and all that type of 
type of level stuff, rocky type of stuff. But uh, if you take a look at the playoffs and if you take a look at the semifinals, uh, you'll see that it doesn't matter if you're the level of Cincinnati. It doesn't matter if you're Notre Dame. It doesn't matter if you're Oklahoma. It doesn't matter if you're a top-tier school in the Power 5 conference. Uh, the majority of the semifinal games for the college football playoffs since this uh, new system has started, the high majority has been blowouts. So if Cincinnati plays Alabama and then gets it, gets their asses kicked, what does it mean for other Power 5 schools who are trying to get in until the new playoff uh, format comes in in about four or five years? So I go ahead and I spoke about that and then talked a little bit about what's happening in the NBA and spoke, spoke about my Georgetown Hoyas, one of the worst games I think I've ever seen. I think I bled from the eyes four times watching them play South Carolina. That was a bad, bad, bad basketball game with two bad, bad teams as of right now. So my heart is hurting. My heart is aching. My eyes are bleeding. My uh, love for basketball just took a big punch to the gut after watching that putrid inept, incompetent performance by my Georgetown Hoya and by the South Carolina Gamecocks, especially uh, Gamecocks, especially in the first half. That was that was basketball that even the 1950s would say were ugly. So I go ahead and I speak about all that. So, hey, man, that is what I'm talking about today on Wendell's World and Sports, the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to once again. You go ahead and you download, you subscribe, you rate, review, you follow. You do me a big favor. You do me a huge favor. You go ahead and you do those things. Now, most importantly, sit back, relax, enjoy. Let's start the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Ruin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in Germany. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in France. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in Australia. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in Mexico. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in Brazil. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in Dubai. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in the Philippines. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in the great country of Canada a special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in the cities of Los Angeles, California, Albany, New York, Ashburn, Virginia, Dallas, Texas, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Las Vegas, Nevada. Special dedication for everyone listening to this podcast, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Yours truly, Wendell Wallace, talking about what is happening, what is going on in the world of sports. Good morning, good evening, bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle, que pasa, mi amigos, shalom, wassalam alaikum, my brothers and sisters, namaste, konnichiwa, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to talk about today in the world of sports. Before I begin, please, 
please, please, like my name is James Brown, please, have you been doing everything that you need to do to make your world, to make your neighborhood, to make your household, to make your place of employment, to make everywhere you go a better place to be through listening, learning, understanding, shut up, listen, learn from those of a different race, from those of a different gender, from those of a different financial background, from those different parts of the world, those of a different financial background, those of a, I already said that, those of a different political affiliation, those uh, who worship another God, those who might love another person, have you been taking the time? Have you been doing your due diligence to make sure you give them respect, to make sure you give them harmony, to make sure that you give them unity, to make sure that you give them the respect that they deserve so we can move this country, so we can move the society in a better place to be through love, unity, understanding, judging people by who they are as human beings, not by the color of their skin, not by their gender, not by their political affiliation, not by who they love, not by what God they worship, if they worship a God. Are you doing everything that you need to do, not for my generation, not for your generation, way too go way too late for us, but are you laying down the foundation for your children and then their children and then their children that they can live in a world where unity, harmony, understanding, respect for all is dealt with by how you are as a human being, not by who you are as far as what race, what gender, what financial background, who you worship, where, what part of the world are you from, are you doing those things? I sure hope that you are, at least a little bit. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. As I mentioned before, man, speaking off, kicking off, talking about NFL Week 13. And we have to go straight to Monday Night Football. New England over Buffalo, 14-10. to 10. Did you see that game? Interesting, wasn't it? Terrible game conditions, 20 mile per hour winds, wind chill temperatures in the teens. Didn't care. Didn't stop New England from doing what they had to do. Both teams had to play in the hazardous hazards of the weather concerning when they would have the ball as far as with the wind at their backs and dealing with the inclement weather. Everything went into play right there. And Matt Jones, right? Now, now everybody... I shouldn't say everybody, that's the wrong thing to say, but a lot of folks out there, I've heard this, I've heard this argument, I've heard the discussion on all the talking head shows, a lot of the talking head shows, and bringing it about, you know, the game first started, I thought the uh, telecast with the Patriots and the Bills uh, this past uh, Monday night, I thought it was going to be the Mac Jones show, where they started talking about, oh, when he was young, and the teacher wanted him, you know, was asking the class what they wanted to be when they grew up, and Mac Jones said that he was going to want to be a football player, and all this other bullshit, and I'm like, Lord have mercy, are we going to try to crown Mac Jones as the gem, as the jewel of the 2020 draft class, because I've heard this argument before, because, okay, he's the leading candidate for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Oh, and now all of a sudden, you know, Trevor Lawrence is struggling and Zach Wilson has been struggling and um, Trey Lance had, gotten, had barely gotten into a game and when he did get into one game where he started from uh, beginning to end, he looked like, oh, I don't know, a rookie and Justin Fields had been inconsistent and been in and out of the lineup and so everybody now is making this... Gosh, damn it, there I go with everybody again. A lot of folks are making this narrative that, oh, yeah, man, it's all about Mac Jones. Mac Jones should have been the first quarterback taken. Oh, what was the, what were the San Francisco 49ers doing drafting Trey Lance when they could have had Mac Jones and this, that, and the other with Mac Jones? Well, I, I, I will say this, and I brought this up many times on my previous podcast about New England and their playoff chances. What are the What is the ceiling? for the Patriots when they go into the playoffs and they might have to play a game where the weather is not going to be freezing, where the wind chill is not going to be below 
20 degrees or the winds aren't going to be howling and it's not going to be snowing and cold outside and all of a sudden you might get a red hot Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City football team who rediscovered their offense or you might run into Lamar Jackson he's having one of his throwback games to uh, maybe when he was uh, going up this past Monday night a few Monday nights ago against the Indianapolis Colts where he went nuts or basically when you're speaking about Mac Jones, is he going to be able to have a game in the playoffs of consequence where he's going to be able to outduel, where he's every, where at least going to be able to keep it close, going up against some of these other great quarterbacks to give the New England Patriots a chance to win? If the other team, Kansas City or whatever team they're going to be playing, is going to be able to pull up 24, 28, 31, 35 points per game, is Mac Jones going to be able to have a more impactful uh, response? to Kansas City or Baltimore or whoever they're going to be playing in the playoffs if they're going to be able to score a lot of points. Is Mac Jones ready for them? And we saw with one of the tests coming out on Monday night that Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels wanted nothing to do with Mac Jones trying to be the decision maker for this game. No way, no how. The man threw three passes on Monday night. Now, you could talk about how wonderful it was for the mentality of the Patriots as a football team and, you know, go ahead and ram the ball down their throats as far as the Buffalo Bills are concerned and <clears throat> what a huge psychological advantage they have and how it's good for their confidence and great for their confidence and all these type of things. And I'm quite sure Bill Belichick was like, look, man, we're, we were just trying to win the game. This wasn't anything about trying to psych somebody out. This wasn't a situation where we're trying to get into their heads. We're not looking down the line as far as, you know, playing in the playoffs. We'll have this game that we can pull out of our bag to use as a psychological or, or you know, mental advantage over these guys when we get into the playoffs. None of that stuff mattered on Monday night. Bill Belichick was like, look, we need to do what we need to do to win the football game. Our defense is going to keep us in the game if we don't turn the ball over, if we don't do anything stupid. And we have a strong running game. We have strong running backs. We have a big, strong offensive line. We're just going to go ahead. We're just going to go old school Minnesota Vikings and their Bud Grant. We're just going to go old school, old school, and just run the football, not put Mac Jones in a position where he's going to have to deal with some of the nonsense with the weather is concerned. And we're going to win the football game this this way. And doggone it, bet you my golly, well, they, that's exactly what they did. But for all this nonsense to talk about how awesome and wonderful and great and, you know, Tom Brady who, because we got Mac Jones now, this should be one example of, he ain't there just yet. Okay, before we start laughing about how Trevor Lawrence is, is, um, is, is, is not succeeding or Trevor Lawrence is struggling in Jacksonville and you take a look at the record and Zach Wilson has been injured and he hasn't lived up to uh, expectations because after all, he did have those, um, what was that, the uh, quote-unquote Patrick Mahomes-type qualities. No, we're not calling him Patrick Mahomes. I mean, that would sound rather stupid. So to kind of mitigate our stupidity in terms of even putting Zach Wilson and Patrick Mahomes in the same sentence as a quarterback in the NFL, we'll just say that he has, um, he has uh, Patrick Mahomes type qualities. He has Patrick Mahomes type talent. Mm-hmm. Sure. But he's been struggling. Justin Fields, as I mentioned before, in and out of the lineup. Trey Lance, not getting any run right now. <laughs> Matt Jones is the man. Okay. Hold on for a second, man. Hold on for a second. Hold on for a second. Monday night against the, um, Buffalo Bills was a pretty good indication that, yeah, Mac Jones, solid. Mac Jones, though, is still a game manager. When it comes to um, when it comes to the overall success 
of the New England Patriots. Give it time, my man. Give it time before we start talking about Mac Jones as the steal of the draft and Mac Jones is proven to be better than Trey Lance or Zach Wilson or Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. I mean, it's almost like a situation where, hey, look, man, the, the marathon just started and you're already talking about halfway through the uh, you know half, you know, half mile in, you're already talking about how the, the leader of the pack is uh, you know going to win the race. I'm sorry, all the motherfuckers from Africa running up there. I mean, you all of a sudden now you're going to be given the uh, award of winning the marathon after a half mile to uh, someone who's halfway decent. Come on now. Come on now. Before we start labeling uh, that nonsense, let's just wait a little bit. I know we're impatient. I know we'd like to go ahead and have the uh, quote unquote hot takes in terms of I want to be first in line. I want to be first to say that I told you Mac Jones was going to be great. Uh, just, just, just have a little patience, if you would, please. Wendell's World of Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Buffalo, New England, Monday night, fo- Monday night football, 14 to 10, New England over Buffalo. Mac Jones again, two for three for 19 yards. The Patriots ran 49 plays. 46 of them were rushing plays. Ran the ball 46 times for 222 yards. That's almost uh, five yards per average. Damian Hill ran for 110 yards or 111 yards, excuse me, on 10 t- carries, had a 64-yard TD run in the first quarter. Uh, Rashamne Stevenson ran 24 times for 78 yards. That's a big man. That is a big, big man who was getting some tough, tough yardage against seeing 10 guys in the box. So it was a uh, it was an impressive victory, and at least in terms of what we're looking for with New England in terms of are they real? Now they've won seven games in a row. And, you know, every week, again, when we speak about the AFC, when we speak about the NFC, when we speak about the NFL, and we start speaking about who's the best team in the who's the best team in the game. And we started off, I'm going to say it again. You doggone right, I'm going to say it again. We started off with Kansas City. Then we moved to Buffalo. And then we moved to Tennessee. And then we, you know, started you know going back and forth and forth and back and back and forth and forth and back and east and west and north and south and all this kind of nonsense every single week. You know, we thought Buffalo would be the bees D's. And then they go out and they lose to Buffalo. Excuse me, they go out to lose to uh, Jacksonville. Then we thought it was Tennessee. And then Tennessee loses at home to uh, Houston. And we thought it was Kansas City. And Kansas City looks mortal on offense. And at the beginning of the season and halfway through the season, looked atrocious on defense. So, man, we didn't know what the world was going on. We might have thought it was the Cincinnati Bengals. And then they go ahead and they lose to the uh, New York Jets. And we thought it was the Baltimore Ravens. And they go ahead and get lucky and beat the Detroit Lions on a uh, 66-yard field goal after a blown missed call by the officials. And they don't look uh, elite in any category as far as, uh, you know, being true contenders for the AFC championship crown. So we've been kind of going back and forth and very quietly after a two and four start, the Patriots just kept a motor and the Patriots just kept it coming and they kept it coming and they kept it coming. And now you see where they are right now. Best record in the American football conference. And I would have to say, um, front runners, shall we say for, um, the uh, championship in the uh, AFC. Now, again, we're only a week 13. Who knows? Who knows? But we're trying to find, I'm trying to find, you're trying to find, we're all trying to find some reasons in terms of why New England is not the best team in the AFC. And another example, against the Buffalo Bills on the road, inclement weather that, uh, you know, they got the job done. They got the job done like my man, Big Daddy Kane. So as of right now, the Patriots won seven games in a row. They're 6-0 on the road, 7-1 in conference play. And again, 
against a playoff caliber team on the road in bad conditions. The Patriots can use winning dominance as far as their offensive line. Their defense is one of the best in the game. They have the best coach in the game, by far the best coach in the game. Let me reiterate that. And uh, different ways to win. Different ways to win. Shows that uh, after all this nonsense, after all of this talking and all this debate about who's more responsible for the uh, Patriots dynasty, Bill Belichick or Tom Brady, um, you know, can we kind of put that bullshit to rest? Can we kind of put that nonsense to rest? It's almost like, you know, who's who was more attractive in their prime? Was it uh, Halle Berry or was it um, Selma Hayek? Are we going to go wrong with either one? Is either one the wrong answer? No. Who was more responsible for the success of the New England Patriots dynasty? Bill Belichick or Tom Brady approves with what Tom Brady is doing in the NFC with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it shows now what Bill Belichick is doing that, yeah, he can coach a little. And if you're speaking about who should be the heavy favorite as of week 13 to win the coach of the year honors, it should be Bill Belichick. And um, I guess as we get closer to the playoffs, if the Patriots continue to play like this and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are doing what they're doing and they continue to play like they're playing, they seem to be rounding into shape. Possible Super Bowl matchup between Bill Belichick's New England Patriots and Bruce Arians' Tampa Bay Buccaneers with the quarterback being Tom Brady. Juicy, juicy, tasty, delicious. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wall is so glad that you could be with us, man. But before we start crowning, as Dennis Green would say, before we crown their asses, let's go ahead and talk about Buffalo. Had chances to win the game, but they just couldn't get the job done. Ran 12 plays in the red zone, came away with seven points, was in the red zone twice in the fourth quarter, came away with no points. Can't do that against um, New England. Can't do that against most decent teams. Definitely can't do that against um, New England after they had first and goal from the six-yard line in a running play that uh, that had no yards or very little yards. Uh, Josh Allen was sacked for a nine-yard loss, setting up a missed 33-yard field goal attempt. It went. And it just hooked right. No uh, no good with 7.28 left to go in the game with the Bills down 14-10. I mean, damn, if you ain't going to uh, go ahead and um, score a touchdown, man, I mean, get, get that field goal. And people are talking about should you have gone for it, not just with the missed field goal attempt, but also, um, you know, a couple of other instances in the game. Hey, man, you know, you're playing against a great defense in – New England, where the points are a premium, and you're speaking about, you know, you're going to be, you know, setting up a um, fourth fourth and goal from the 15 yard line, and you're only down 14 10, and you're speaking about going for it. I mean, that was nonsense. That was absolute nonsense. The defense for Buffalo was playing well enough to uh, get them in the position, and if he makes the field goal, and you know, if I was, you know, six feet seven and could jump out of the gym, I'd be playing right now for my Washington Wizards. But what I'm saying is the fact that you know you can't do the we should have, could have, would have, especially if you're speaking about the game, bringing in the conditions of the weather. The fact again, it was fourth and goal from the 15 yard line. There was still plenty of time left to go in the game. You kick that field goal. It's 14 to 13. You're not scoring too many touchdowns. There were only two touchdowns scored in the game. So how are you going to win this game? You're probably going to be winning 
this game with field position and field goals. So, no, the Buffalo Bills at that time, fourth and goal from the 15-yard line, seven and a half minutes left to go, down 14-10. They should not have gone for it on fourth down. The field goal, the man didn't do his job. And, uh, you know, he's paid millions of dollars to do the job. He didn't get the job done in that case. The last uh, drive of the game for the Bills, 162 yards to the Patriots, 13 with 230 left to go in the game. They ran for one yard, incomplete pass. Now, your situation where you got to go for it. You got to go for the touchdown. So they ran for one yard, second down, incomplete pass, third down, false start penalty to go from third and nine to third and 14 from the New England 18-yard line. B-A-L-L-G-A-M-E. It's over. Two incomplete passes. The game was over for all intent and purposes. Um, with the weather conditions that were out there, I mean, you're taking a look at Josh Allen going 15 for 30 for 145 yards and one touchdown. He was the leading rusher running six times for 39 yards. I know there might have been some discussion about you needed Josh Allen to run the ball more than six times. Um, he is the quarterback, and you do need him. How many more times? There were some desired runs, but, you know, this ain't Cam Newton. This ain't uh, someone as far as Josh Allen. I know he's big and I know he's strong and all those type of things, but he's still just a quarterback who's not used to taking hits. He ran the ball six times. How much more would you want him to run the ball? How many more designed running plays for Josh Allen do you want him to uh, to, to, to go on? I thought uh, six times was enough. Weather was terrible. Field condition. You have running backs. I mean, Devin Singletary can't get you you know, yards on a consistent basis. Josh Allen is going to, and then ask him to throw the football, you know, 25, 30, 35 times during the game would have been a lot to uh, ask for him. So ran the ball six times, 39 yards, one fifteen for 30, 145 yards, one touchdown pass. They were in the game to win it at the end. So you can't, you know, second guess on that situation. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So speaking about the Bills, what are we going to be doing with them for the rest of the season? What is the outlook? What is the prognostication? What's your prognostication? What are your thoughts and feelings? Super Bowl contenders still uh, going to be out of the playoffs, uh, going into the playoffs and making a whimper, still have a chance to do some things and live up to expectations in terms of what their team's goal was, uh, was at the beginning of the season. What are we speaking about here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast about the Buffalo Bills moving forward for the rest of the season. Right now, they're 3-4 and four in their last uh, seven games. One of the things that you can maybe take a look at if you're speaking about some potential weaknesses is the fact that in that seven-game span where they've lost to Tennessee at Tennessee, that was with Derrick Henry, by the way. They lost at Jacksonville two weeks later, inexcusable. Uh, both, uh, they, were, uh, they lost to Indianapolis, and then this past Sunday, or excuse me, Monday night against the uh, New England Patriots, their wins during the three or four stretch have been against the Miami Dolphins, who they always beat, against the New York Jets, where they blew out 45-17, and everybody was speaking about, oh, goody, 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 the offense for the Buffalo Bills is back. Not really. And then on Thanksgiving, they went up to, or they went down to New Orleans and put a whooping on the Saints, 31-6. to Oh, goody, goody, goody. The offense is back. No, it's not. I don't know. Hard to tell with the weather and everything moving forward. Um, Tampa, they play Tampa uh, coming up. It's going to be that's going to be the game where we can really give a good gauge 
in terms of where they're at because you could maybe throw in there and look New England it's not like New England was playing on Monday in 78 degree weather while Buffalo was playing against the weather that was given to them so okay in that essence you can really say look both teams played in the same conditions New England came out ahead what's the what what are the chances in the playoffs that the weather is going to be that bad now the way things are looking for Buffalo they're not going to have a whole playoff game whether they uh, you know, uh, if they make the playoffs. So the weather in Buffalo in January, uh, for the most part, you're not going to have to worry about that because they're going to be on the road when they play their playoff game. So maybe to gauge the where Buffalo is at based on that game, I mean, what would be the narrative if, say, for instance, if they won that game 16-14, to 14, if they drove down instead of that guy missing the field goal, the 33-yard field goal, he makes that field goal, then make it 14 and 13, and then instead of having to go for it on 4th and 14 or 19 or whatever at the end of the ball game, if they go ahead and kick a field goal to win 16 to 14. Now what the narrative? Because now all of a sudden now we're speaking about the New England's win streak is over and Buffalo found a gritty way to win and blah, blah, blah. So the narrative is very different if Buffalo goes ahead and does just the small little things. It wasn't the situation where, you know, you had to have 10 things go your way. This was a situation where Buffalo was in the game for the entire time. A couple of mistakes, a couple of missed opportunities proved to be the um, dagger for the chances for Buffalo to win that game. But if they go ahead and they make those small plays, again, very simple, making those small plays, what's going to be the narrative now? about the Buffalo Bills moving forward. Now, all of a sudden, we're talking about the gym that Josh Allen had for the game. Instead of 15 for 30, 149 yards, or 145 yards, six rushes for 39 yards. You know, he could have made more plays. They should have ran the ball more, blah, blah, blah. All of this nonsense. What's up with the uh, Buffalo defense? I can't believe that the uh, Patriots, all they did was run the football, basically telling what the game plan offensively was going to be for New England uh, against the Bills, and they were still able to um, accomplish what they wanted to accomplish, get the ball in, execute the plays, even though... The Bills knew what they were doing, and oh my goodness, this is terrible, this is horrible. The psyche for the Bills moving forward, are they in their heads? Is this a NFL version of uh, Alabama and Georgia where our little brother just can't see the big, big, big brother? All of the narrative, all of the conversation that's being spoken about right now goes away if Buffalo executes properly a couple of plays, a couple of plays. So, interesting moving forward. But, you know, it is what it is. They're 3-4. and four. Again, their losses have been at Tennessee during the stretch. At Tennessee, Jacksonville. They were beaten up pretty well at home against the uh, Indianapolis Colts and then against New England. And again, their victories. I mean, can you take a look at beating Miami, which you always do? Can you take a look if you're in Buffalo Bill fans beating the... New York Jets and the New Orleans Saints is something to say, hey, you know what, we're close or, you know, we'll be fine or I'm not worried about it. I need to just R-E-L-A-X, you know, is that a situation for those guys? Now, if you take a look at those losses against the Titans and the Patriots in Indianapolis in particular, they have been susceptible to being run on by really good running teams against Tennessee, New England, and Indianapolis, they allowed teams to rush for an average of 210 yards per game. So that might be something. But then again, you take a look at the 222 
that was accumulated by the Patriots on 40, what, 46 carries. And one of those was a 64-yard run. So you take away that, you're taking a look at the Bills who basically, you know, in 40-something attempts, rushing 45 rushing attempts by the Patriots, the Bills held the, uh, the Bills held New England to under 200 yards rushing. Again, entirely different narrative when we're speaking about a couple of plays going one way or the other. So the next game for Buffalo is going to be on the road against Tampa. I think that's going to be a better gauge for Buffalo Bill fans and just folks who are fans of the NFL to take a look and see exactly what are we talking about. What is the definition that's going to be written for the Buffalo Bills when um, we speak about, when we start talking about what are the chances of Buffalo making the playoffs to chances of Buffalo doing something in the playoffs, the chances that Buffalo has to win that, just not the uh, conference championship, but also the Super Bowl championship. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So uh, let me see here and let me take a look at some of the uh, standings right now as we go into week 14, the AFC standings, the number one leader in the pack, the division leaders, leaders of the AFC East, the New England Patriots, 9-4. They have a bye week this upcoming week then. They're at Indianapolis. And um, again, that triumph, that, that that trio of games that I talked about before, or four games really, when I spoke about the game against the Titans on the road, then the Bills on the road, then the bye week, and then Indianapolis. Or so I guess they're three teams, right? Whatever. So basically right now they're 2-0. and Good job for the New England Patriots. So they're number one in the conference, leading the uh, NFC, AFC East. Then the number two seed, you have the Tennessee Titans, leaders of the AFC South. The number three seed, Baltimore Ravens, who was the number one seed the week before. They dropped to number three after losing to Pittsburgh. <clears throat> this past weekend, they're now eight and four to number three. Number three seed is still leaders in the AFC uh, North. By the way, stop blaming Jim Harbaugh. Or, um, don't go there with him talking about should he have gone for two or should have not gone for two. G- good decision, right decision. He knows the team are much better than you guys do. So this was a situation where he said, "Look, man, you know our, we were depleted at the cornerback position, cornerback position, and it was either time to win it or lose it. The, the call was there." The play was there. It was an excellent call. It just wasn't executed correctly. So, you know, I mean, you, you tie the football game. That, that doesn't matter what happened. You've tied the football game, and then, you know, 10 minutes later, you lose uh, to the Steelers. What's, what's the deal here? You just, put, uh, you just put your players through another 10, 15, 20 plays in a game where it's kind of like, look, man, let's just, you know, go ahead. It's cold outside. It sucks. We want to get out of here. We want to go back to Baltimore. We have, you know, we have family and friends and wives and girlfriends and, and kids that, uh, you know, we want to get back to. So, you know, screw it. Let's just go for it and let's just do it right now. Again, put the onus of whether we should go for it or not on the coach, but the fact that the play was run, the play was a very good play, but the quarterback didn't execute the play properly in terms of getting the ball to where Andrews could catch it comfortably and walk into the uh, end zone for the two-point conversion. It was there. So the execution was on the players. So that's not on Harbaugh. That's on the players, man. This is not Pee Wee. This is not uh, Division Three college. This is the NFL. And you're speaking about professionals making millions of dollars who should have been able to come up and execute that play the way it presented itself 
um, with the opportunity that it had after Baltimore had that touchdown. So you know, don't put that on Jim Harbaugh. Look squarely at the players on why that play wasn't executed properly. So number one, leaders in the division, New England Patriots. Number two, Tennessee. Number three, Baltimore. Number four, the Kansas City football team, the leaders of the AFC West. They're at uh, eight and four. Then you take a look at the wild card. Number five at the Los Angeles Chargers at 75. The number six seed, Cincinnati Bengals, six and six. The number seven seed, Buffalo Bills, seven and five. Then on the outside looking in, you have the number eight Pittsburgh Steelers at six, five and one. Romo and Jim Nash talking about, there's a chance, there's a chance, there's a chance. Pittsburgh ain't getting in, man. Get out of here. The number nine seed, though, the Indianapolis Colts. That's the team. That if I'm in the AFC, that's the one team I do not want to be playing. I do not want those guys to get in. They're number, they're number, uh, the number nine seed. So you take a look at the uh, rest of the conference. Number ten, the Las Vegas Raiders at six and six. Number eleven, the Cleveland Browns also at six and six. The number twelve seeded Denver Broncos six and six. Another team that might be a bitch to play, even though they started too slowly, but they're playing good football right now. If I'm a uh, team that's going to be making a playoff so I'm someone like the Chargers or the Bengals or the uh, Kansas City football team or even the Ravens one team I do not want to see the Miami Dolphins they're number 13 they're sitting at 6 and 7 the chances of them getting into the playoffs are slim to none but uh, hey man you, you never know chaos can ensue and if Miami gets in they continue to play like they're playing I wouldn't want to see those motherfuckers in the playoffs. I'll tell you that if I'm one of these teams who might be teetering, a.k.a. Tennessee or Baltimore. But right now, they're number 13 with the 6-7 record, winners of five games in a row. The number 14-seeded New York Jets are 3-9. and nine. The number 15-seeded Jacksonville Jaguars are 2-10. and 10 And officially eliminated from the playoffs. I know this is going to be a hard pill to swallow for you guys down there in Houston, but your Houston Texans... Dead last, number 16 in the AFC, 2 and 10. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So speaking about what's happening in the NFL, in the AFC right now, who's the most dangerous team? We go ahead and take a look at it because we got four teams right now who are hot. We got four teams right now who are playing good football. We got four teams right now who are intriguing. And we have three of those teams being very dangerous to do some real work in the playoffs if they get themselves in the playoffs. New England mentioned before about how well they're playing, but what about the Kansas City football team? What about the Miami Dolphins? Or what about the Indianapolis Colts? Kansas City's won five games in a row. After all the bitching and moaning and whining and complaining and consternation and head scratching, Kansas City has won five games in a row. And on only one of those games have they looked like Kansas City that we all know and love. They beat the New York Giants on Monday Night Football, and everybody was like, yeah, did you see that game, though? Jeez, that was, like, mediocre at best. Then they beat Green Bay, and it's like, well, yeah, that's great, but they were playing against Jordan Love, not Aaron Rodgers, so what can we really deduce from that? Then they played the Las Vegas Raiders, which was their best offensive game of the season, and everybody's losing their mind. Everyone is running around like, you guessed it. They were dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas, dancing on the ceiling like Rilo Ritchie. We're back. Oh, Kansas City are back. You see that game, 41-14 against the Raiders. Patrick Mahomes was brilliant. Five touchdown passes. They were explosive. They were incredible. Man, the Kansas City football team is back. And then they play against Dallas. They win. They win, but it was like, offensively, it was like, 
Yeah. And then they played against a Dallas team that didn't have Amari Cooper, didn't have Tyron Smith at the left tackle, so the offensive line was incomplete. If you're speaking about the uh, entirety of what impact they could have on the team because they're so left tackle uh, dependent and they don't have one of the best left tackles in the game for that game. So they were without Smith. <clears throat> they were without Amari Cooper. Uh, second half, they were without C.D. Lamb, who suffered a concussion. Ezekiel Elliott was injured. So you're playing against a Dallas team that was kind of handcuffed. So, yeah, we beat Dallas. Unbelievable. Fantastic. It's like, yeah, but you didn't play the Dallas Cowboys that were beaten up on the Atlanta Falcons or the Dallas Cowboys when at full strength was considered one of the best, most talented offenses in the league. So, yeah, you know, again, and you really didn't score that many points. 19 to 9? 19 is all you could score against that team? So, man, I thought they were back. I thought they were explosive. I thought Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City football team with Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid. I thought they found the answers to the test and they were going to go back to the team that was just blowing minds and blowing out folks from 2018 to 2020. The Patrick Mahomes era where everybody, including yours truly, was speaking about Kansas City become a dynasty and Patrick Mahomes was already being considered as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time and all of the all-time great offenses move over greatest show on turf and move over all of these dynamic offenses. The 1998 Minnesota Vikings offense with Randy Moss and and, and um, Randall Cunningham and Robert Smith and, uh, you know, Chris Carter move over because this team from Kansas City is going to be greater and all of this nonsense. Move over the 2000 and whenever New England Patriots, which had Tom Brady throwing for 50 touchdowns and Randy Moss collecting 25 touchdown passes. Move over all of those teams because this Kansas City football team with Patrick Mahomes, I don't know how they're going to be stopped. We could be taking a look at numbers like this for almost a decade. And now they're putting up 19 points against a mediocre Dallas team. They're putting up 13 points against the Green Bay Packers. They're looking pedestrian at best against the New York Giants. Oh, but they scored 41 against the Raiders. But then against, again, Denver and Dallas. <sighs> so basically what I'm trying to say is Kansas City on offense still remains inconsistent. So they haven't found that offensive swagger. They haven't found that offensive dynamite. They haven't found that yet. They haven't found the, the, the power. They haven't found what they had from 2018 to 2020 in terms of just, you know, that offensive explosion is still not there. They had it for one game, one game, and everybody lost their flip of mind because now Kansas City is back. Watch out, and you saw what happened against the Cowboys and the Broncos. So how can I sit there and be like, threat, threat, threat? Because you know it, I know it. We're not giving up on this offense. It's almost like, it's almost like based on the based on the evidence and based on the production that they had for three years now or ever since Patrick Mahomes became the starting quarterback, it's, it's, it can't be over just yet. This, I'm going to use that word again, this dynamicism on offense, this productivity, this how potent the Kansas City football team was on offense, it can't be over already. 
Patrick Mahomes is a, you know, Ben Roethlisberger. Patrick Mahomes wasn't at the end for, uh, like, he didn't look, he's not like, you know, Peyton Manning out there in terms of being at the end of his career. Damn, Patrick Mahomes is, hasn't even reached a physical and mental prime yet. I mean, he's still, you know, a guy in his mid-20s. It can't be over. Tyreek Evans, uh, Travis Kelsey and these guys, it, it can't be over just yet. We were having too much fun. So we're just, even though the evidence is showing, mediocre against the Giants, mediocre against Green Bay, on offense, mediocre against the Giants, Green Bay, Dallas, Denver, the stretch where they're winning football games, we're still like, it's, it's, it's still there. It's got to be still there, somewhere. They'll find it. I know they will. It's got to be in there somewhere, right? I mean, Patrick Mahomes can't fall off a cliff this quickly. No, 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 no. So, again, it was... You know, what, what are we to make of it? The question is, the defense has been playing great. The defense is the one, the defense is the reason why they're winning football games. They're only giving up 11 points per game. They gave up, what, nine against the, um, they gave up nine against the Cowboys, gave up nine against, or seven against the uh, Green Bay Packers, gave up 14 against the uh, Raiders, gave up 10 against the uh, New York Giants, gave up, what, six or nine or something minuscule against the Denver Broncos. It's the, it's the defense. That's been carrying him. The defense was as putrid and ineffective as it was for the better part of the season. With this offense, we're not talking about Kansas City, um, you know, being a threat in the AFC. We're not talking about Kansas City being leaders in the AFC West. We're not talking about anything like that. We're talking about what the hell's going on with Kansas City. What what moves need to be made? Because they're going to be out of the playoffs. Because right now, that record for Kansas City would not, would not, would not be eight and four. It would be somewhere closer to, I don't know, maybe five and seven, maybe even four and eight. If it wasn't for the defensive way they were playing. Take away, take away that game against the Raiders. Come on, man. This was this is what I'm talking about. Take away that game against the Raiders where everybody and their sister and their brother and their mother and their father and their aunts and their uncles and their cousins lost their mind when Kansas City put up the performance that they had on offense. Okay. They're back. They're back. They're back. Take that game away. Patrick Mahomes in his last four games during this winning streak without that Raider game he's only completing 57% of his passes two touchdowns three interceptions averaging only 196 yards per game passing does those statistics sound like the Patrick Mahomes that we knew and love starting off in 2018 when he became the full-time starting quarterback for Kansas City moving all the way down to the uh, 2020 season. That doesn't sound like Patrick Mahomes. 57% of his passing, only only completing 57% of his passes through four games, two touchdowns, three interceptions, averaging 196 passing yards per game. I thought he found that shit. I thought that he found his groove. He thought he found his mojo. Just like Stella got her group back down there in Jamaica, I thought that Patrick Mahomes found his mojo, found his groove in Vegas. Did Kansas City and that offense, did they leave it at the crap table after the game? Did they leave their offensive mojo and the answer to the test and their potency? Did they leave it at the crap table? Did they give it to did they give it to destiny in lieu of a lap dance when they went to Spearmint Rhino after the game? What happened? Where exactly? They, 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 what happened in Vegas stays in Vegas. You got that right. 
Because exactly what happened in Vegas in terms of the way Kansas City performed on offense that Sunday night, it stayed in Vegas because it didn't transform back against the uh, when they played against the uh, Cowboys and the Broncos. So again, they the defense is the reason why Kansas City is where they're at. And yeah, the quarterbacks they played re- weren't really good. When you're speaking about Daniel Jones and Jordan Love and David Carr, Dak Prescott being handcuffed and Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater. With the exception of Prescott, Daniel Jones ain't going to be blowing anybody out of the water. Jordan Love, we, we saw that train wreck, even though a lot of it wasn't his fault. Um, and then Teddy Bridgewater, who just, you know, basically you're just your average, average quarterback at best. So what's more likely to happen if you're talking about the Kansas City football team? Is their defense going to regress back to what it was for most of the season? Or is the offense finally going to regain some of the productivity that we've seen for the past three seasons? Is Patrick Mahomes going to find, refine, refine? Is Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City offense going to be able to get back? Okay, let, let, let's just say, let's just say that the Patrick Mahomes of 2018 and 2020, that the Kansas City offensive football team that we saw from starting from 2018 to 2020, that offense is not going through that door. That offense is not coming through that door, folks. How close do they have to be for you to really be, you know, confident in, hey, look, if the defense, if the defense is just playing out of their ass because they have the uh, advantage of going up against Bridgewater, Jordan Love, and Daniel Jones, and, you know, you're speaking about going into the playoffs where the quarterback player is going to be infinitely better, even though, for the most part, it's been the running it's been the uh, rush defense for Kansas City, which has been their Achilles heel uh, for most of the season. But, you know, if, if the defense is going to regress just a little bit because it's just, we, we've seen this defense before. I mean, they're not going to be able to play with the same type of uh, success that they've been for these last uh, five games. So even if they regress a little bit back to the meme of what they were uh, before this winning streak started, can the offense improve enough to where if the defense is going to take a step back, that's okay. We can still be contenders and be true champions for the crown for the AFC and win that Super Bowl because our offense is going to be is going to get better or get to the point where it ain't going to be 2018, 2020 dominant great, but it's going to be good enough. It's going to be close enough that we can overcome the regression of the defense a little bit closer to what they were performing for most of this season and we can still win that Super Bowl. We can still... Uh, defend our conference championship crown. So that'll be interesting because the remaining schedule, they've got the Raiders at home, then they go on the road against the uh, Chargers. That's going to be no gimme right there. Then back home to Pittsburgh, then finishing on the road at Cincinnati and at Denver. So we'll see. We will see. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about what's happening in football. In football, the Indianapolis Colts one and a half games behind Tennessee in the AFC South, 6-2 and two in their last uh, eight games. They beat Houston 31-0. whoop de damn do Jonathan Taylor ran for 143 yards on 32 carries, two touchdowns. Indy ran the ball 48 times for 232 yards, passed it 22 times. Not bad. Carson Wentz, professional outing, professional production, 16 to 22 for 158 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. That's that's nice. That's wonderful. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what is going to be happening in terms of the game against New England. 
after the bye week, they have a bye week, so they're, they're not playing this week. So Frank Wright and the, and the guys have a couple of weeks to uh, get ready for New England. And then after that, they play Arizona, then Las Vegas, and Jacksonville. If playing that schedule, and we don't know what's going to be happening with Tennessee because they're so banged up, not just at the running back position, but also at the wide receiver position and such. There's, there's, there's no guarantee that Tennessee is going to have that lock for winning the AFC South. As I mentioned before, Indianapolis only one and a half games behind. So if Indy can come out of this schedule, let's just say, man, let's just let's just, just bullshit it, man. Let's just say, hey, Indy, Indianapolis, they're for real. They beat New England, woo! They beat Arizona, woo! And then, you know what, slip a little bit against Las Vegas, but they beat Jacksonville. So I'm trying to throw in there a, a three and one, which means that they're going to end the season on a 9-3 uh, stretch, winning 9 out of their last 12 games. If you're a fan of the Baltimore Ravens, man, let me ask you, fan of the Baltimore Ravens, Raven fan, always more. Let me ask you, um, let me let me ask you this. Do you want to play Indianapolis the way you guys are playing right now? Look, four games left to go in the season. Understood, man. Every, you know, any given Sunday, anything could happen. But the way Indianapolis is playing, damn, man, I tell you what, if I'm including New England, and, you know, like I said before, we'll gauge how uh, good both of these teams are when they meet in a couple of weeks. But if I'm Kansas City, yeah, they've been playing great defense, only averaging, you know, giving up 11 points a game with this, that, and the other, man. But you have to be scared out of your flipping, dipping mind if you're a Kansas City football fan about facing the, the possibility of facing the Indianapolis Colts in that run offense. When Derrick Henry went down with that foot injury, Jonathan Taylor said, give me the mantle. Give me the mantle. Let's go. Best running back in the game right here. Here we go. And that's exactly what he's been. With that offense, if you're Kansas City, if you're Baltimore, if you're the Chargers, if you're since anybody, in terms of uh, being in the playoffs right now. Do you want to see the Colts? To me, they, they, they scare me just as much as the uh, Patriots do right now. If any of these teams are scared of anybody, concerned about anybody. With the Dolphins, hey man, they started too, um, they started too late to get their act together. But, you know, Brian Flores, defense, what they're doing right now to a tongue of Iloa really doesn't put any fear in me. Uh, offensive weapons don't really put any fear in me. It would just make for an ugly game. Ugly games scare me if I'm a team like the Kansas City football team or the Baltimore Ravens or the Los Angeles Chargers or the Cincinnati Bengals. Ugly, tough, yucky, icky football games like Miami on defense when they're rolling, when they're clicking, which they've been over the past a couple of weeks. I, I don't like them. Because it's just something where it's like bullshit always happens with shit like that. You know, when you play that type of stuff. You know, they throw you off rhythm. They make you feel uncomfortable. It's like it's like if you're a boxer, like, like why did Muhammad Ali have so much trouble with Ken Norton? Because Ken Norton had this awkward bullshit, what the hell is he doing, defensive type of, you know, he had the type of style that gave float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, I have a chin of granite, I have a chin like I'm a Mexican Muhammad Ali, trouble. Joe Frazier, biggest uh, rival, his biggest challenge was always Ken Norton because Ken Norton didn't let him feel comfortable. He made it icky. He made it ugly. He made it difficult. 
he mucked it up. You know, that's the same thing moving back to the Miami Dolphins. It's, that's the way they play. That's the way they do these things, man. So, yeah, Miami, 13th seeded right now, probably not going to make the playoffs. But if I'm one of these teams, keep them motherfuckers away, away. Keep them clowns back in South Florida because in the playoff game, I do not want to be playing those guys, even with Tua at their quarterback. Same thing with the uh, Indianapolis Colts. Tough defense, running game, tough this, that, the other. I don't want to see him. I do not want to see him. So, yeah, man. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Didn't get too much into the NFC playoff rankings. Um, we all know about the division leaders. Arizona, number one at 10-2, and two, leading the NFC West. The Green Bay Packers, 9-3, leading the NFC Central. The Tampa Tom Buccaneers. Is Tampa Tom going to be the MVP this year? 44 what he's doing. They're the third seed, 9-3 record. Number four being the Dallas Cowboys at 8-4 and four wildcard teams. The Los Angeles Rams coming in two games behind the Cardinals at 8-4. and four. The number six seeded Washington football team. Oh, snooky, snooky now. My Washington Snyder skins. My Washington might make the playoff skins. My Washington, how are they doing it skins? My Washington Ron Rivera skins, 6-6. Six and six. And the number six seed, in the playoffs, the San Francisco 49ers just getting in the number seven seed. They're at six and six. Tough loss in the Pacific Northwest, the beautiful Pacific Northwest of this country, losing to the Seattle Seahawks this past uh, Sunday, but they're still in. You have teams on the outside looking in. The number eight seed, the Philadelphia 76ers, six and seven. How are they getting this done again? I, writ- I wrote them off a little while ago. My bad. The number nine seed, Minnesota Vikings. Lost to Detroit. They lost to Detroit. If you're a Viking fan, they don't get into the playoffs. Bye-bye Mike Zimmer. Nothing personal. I think Mike Zimmer is a good coach. But he's been with this team long enough. And on paper, they should be better than 5-7. and seven. Yeah, I know Dalvin Cook's been injured. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But man, take a look at that offense, man. Should you be losing to... And take a look at the defense. Should you be losing to Detroit? Detroit? N- not in September. Not in week three. We're fighting for a playoff spot and you lose to Detroit? 0-10-1 Detroit? Unacceptable. Inexcusable. They're number nine, the Carolina Panthers. Five and seven, they're number 10. The 11 seeded Atlanta Falcons. They're 5-7, and seven, and the number 12 seed, New Orleans Saints, 5-7, and seven, bottom of the division. The New York Giants, 4-8, and eight, they're the number 13 seed. The Chicago Naggies are 4-8, and eight, number 14. Fire Naggy! Fire Naggy! The number 15 seed is the Seattle Seahawks, 4-8, and eight, sang the redemption song just a little bit by beating the 49ers. One of these days, man, I'm going to, we're going to sit here and we're going to have to have a discussion before the season's over about Russell Wilson. What do you do with good old Russ? Is his time in Seattle over? I mean, if you think about the Legion of Boom and you think about that team that uh, won a Super Bowl, played in another, time is over, right? He's the last of the Mohicans. He's the last of the uh, good soldiers on that squad. Is it time to... Um, move him, start that rebuild. I mean, you know, he was whining and complaining a little bit through the media and such about, um, you know, don't want to go anywhere, but if I did, here, here are the teams I want to go to. Okay. 
But they're number fifteen, and they don't have their first round draft pick because of the Jabal Adams trade. So they don't even have a fifth. They don't even have a first round draft pick. Anyway, possible shape for them. Get a team that's desperate, at least for Russell Wilson, give up at least a third or a second for him. We'll see. We'll see. The number sixteen seed, as I mentioned before, the one in ten Detroit Lions. And you know what? Hey, man, congratulations to the Lions. Their first win over uh, their first win of the season over Minnesota. 29-27, man. Way, way to go. And uh, the defense, final play of the game for the Vikings was atrocious, mind-boggling, head-scratching, but uh, they got it done. Relief, happiness in the Detroit Lions locker room, and again, embarrassment, bewilderment, if you're speaking about the Minnesota Vikings. So, look, yeah, they were missing, missing Anthony Barr. Yeah, they were missing Everson Griffin. Yeah, they were missing Danielle Hunter. Yeah, they were missing Eddie Kendricks. Not not the singer for The Temptations, but the other Eddie Kendricks. Uh, Eric Kendricks. Not Eddie Kendricks, you dumbass. Eric Kendricks. And Patrick uh, Peterson. Patrick Peterson, really. That's what we're going to be throwing out as one of the reasons why they lost Patrick Peterson. But Patrick Peterson, who wore number 21, the first-round draft pick from LSU, and was a shutdown corner for the... Arizona Cardinals for years that guy ain't walking through the door folks so that should not have a huge impact or even a mention as far as impact is concerned when we're speaking about why the Minnesota Vikings lost to the Detroit Lions inexcusable unacceptable mentioned before about Tom Brady winning his fourth MVP you know Sunday against Atlanta where I think they you know Byron Leftwich was like hey man throw 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 and when you're done Tom throw it some more Threw four touchdown passes, sixth game this season that Tampa Tom has thrown four touchdowns in a game. Sixth time in NFL history that a player has had six games with at least four touchdown passes. Five other players who have done that all won the MVP. Where are we going to be going here? What are we going to be talking about here? Who are the MVPs right now? Name me somebody, anybody. We started off with uh, Matthew Stafford. We started off with Kyler Murray. Then we went over to... Uh, who did we go to? We, Derrick Henry was mentioned in the discussion. Then we started talking a little bit about uh, Dak Prescott. And then, you know, all these other players come and go. And as of coming down the stretch of the season, it's Tampa Tom Brady, 44 years old. The narrative is there, right? 44 years old, unbelievable, winning a MVP. What would be, be his fourth? He might have to do another installment of, uh, you know, bragging about himself on the uh, on the ESPN uh, plus channel, uh, that, uh, that uh, documentary or whatever he's doing, uh, talking about himself. And you know what? Good for him, man. I, I like Tom Brady Unleash. I, I like this. I, I like Tom Brady, you know, with a little bit of swag. I like Tom Brady in these Subway commercials. I like Tom Brady and his wife Giselle in, what was it, crypto commercial or something like that. I like Tom Brady showing a little bit of, uh, that he's human. You're the greatest fucking quarterback of all time. Act like it. <laughs> Act like it. Yeah, I'm the shit. Yeah, I'm Tom fucking Brady, and I'm going to take advantage of being Tom fucking Brady. So there you go. So hey, man, be be a little bit get a, get a little bit more of that Tampa Tampa Tom swag. You know what I'm talking about? You know, be a little bit more. If I were him, this is the way I'd be acting. Yeah, I'd be in commercials because I'm Tom fucking Brady, and Tom fucking Brady being in commercials means I get more money. So come on, man. You know, be keep doing what you're doing. Love it, absolutely love it. You see this nonsense before I go to break about Antonio Brown, Antonio Brown being Antonio Brown. It might be a little bit past the expiration date, but it's just a way for me to make fun of Antonio Brown. Suspended three games for COVID violation, accused of obtaining a fake COVID-19 vac- vaccination card. This was reported in the Times that, um, according to Stephen Ruiz, 
a former personal chef for AB, that Brown and his girlfriend model Cindy Moreau, yeah, that's right, because Antonio Brown, that nut job, sure he gets a girlfriend who's a model. Sure, why not, right? Because Cindy just, or Cindy or Cindy, whatever the fuck her name is, C-Y-D-N-E-Y, just, she loves Antonio because he's a hell of a guy with a great personality, he's caring, he's giving, and just a sweetheart all around, right? Well, his girlfriend model, jeez, women, oh God, reached out to Ruiz over the summer to obtain a fake vaccination card that said Brown had received the Johnson & Johnson shot. So according to text messages provided by Ruiz, Moreau offered $500 for a fake card. So according to the report, Ruiz said that he was unable to acquire a fake card for Brown, but added that uh, the wide receiver a few weeks later showed him one he had for himself in Moreau that he had purchased. So Brown reportedly was unwilling to get the vac- the vaccine at the time because of the possible side effects. And why did Ruiz go public with his information? Well, of course, Antonio failed to pay, failed to pay him ten thousand dollars. I I I I don't know. So now there's a situation where, of course, Bruce Arians is pissed, and now there's a situation where is is he going to be able to play? And is he going to are the Buccaneers going to cut him? I don't think they're going to cut him this season. But as soon as the season's over, win, lose, or draw in terms of defending that Super Bowl championship, he's out of there. He's out of there. Just 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 the stupidity. Just the dumbness. I mean, these guys, I mean, Antonio Brown, this guy comes up with more wacky, ridiculous scenarios of his life. It's it's almost like his life is almost like a sitcom. It's it's almost like he gets in life, Antonio Brown gets his daily life dealings from an episode of Modern Family. You know what I mean? It's like so ridiculous. What he puts himself into. Of course, it's a personal chef is going to uh, rat on this guy. What's a personal chef doing in your life, Antonio? I don't know, man. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But that's Antonio Brown being Antonio Brown. So interesting stuff going on in the world of sports. Interesting stuff going on in the NFL. Now we're going to be moving to college football. When I get back from this boogie break, I'm going to be speaking about what's happening in college football, the final four is set. Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, and Cincinnati are the four teams. I will give you my thoughts and opinions about each one, including what's going to be going on with Cincinnati in terms of uh, what's at stake, not just for Cincinnati, but for the game of college football, how much of a responsibility Cincinnati has going up against Alabama, not just for their team, but for college football in general. That'll be next here on Wendell's World and Sports. Let me go ahead now and boogie.
Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Standing in the shadows of not just love, but standing in the shadows of speaking about what's happening in the world of sports. Not going to be doing this from the dark end of the street. That's where we always meet. Standing in shadows where we don't belong, living in darkness to hide our own. You, me, the world of sports, the dark end of the street. Thank you very much, Dan Penn. Thank you very much, James Carr. Thank you very much, Aretha Franklin. One of these days, slow jam days, I might have to play that rendition but standing in the shadows of love the great awesome four tops led by the legendary levi stubbs watching this commercial I, before i get to a college football real quick it's just how times have changed and i guess for some people are going to listen to this and say yeah man it's a good thing that you don't have kids because uh you would be a complete and utter monstrous asshole but i don't care man i'm watching these this this macaroni and cheese commercial where the daughter is sitting at the table and she won't eat her vegetable I, was it macaroni and cheese no 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 it was a uh, 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 cheese craft cheese or whatever so the daughter is sitting at the table and she won't eat her vegetables and the mother's like you know you got to eat your vegetables and she's not eating them and you know the old old school you're not leaving till you eat your vegetables and she crosses her arms and looks at her mother with this look of disdain and anger and says fine we'll just stay here then and the mother looks at the father or the mother looks at her husband you know bewildered like what are we gonna do so she pours some cheese onto the vegetables and the kid eats it and everyone's happy shit bull fucking shit could you imagine i'm sorry man different generation I, I I cringe every time I watch that commercial because I can only imagine me at that age or hell, even me now being 52 years old, me looking at my mom like that when she told me to do something and having her say, well, you're going to be on, you're going to be sitting here at the table until you finish eating those vegetables. And for me to take a look at my mom, the way that girl did, whether I'm the age that I am now, or even back in the day when I was her age and anywhere else in between, for me to look at my mom like that and say, fine, I'll just stay here. That would have been the end of my life. My mom and my dad would have murdered me right there on the spot. No joking, sort of, kind of. Or at the very least, I would have been eating my vegetables standing up. Why? Because my ass would have been so sore and so red from the whooping that my mom and dad would have gave me for not only looking at me like, not only looking at them like that, but to utter those words of disrespect, fine. I'll just stay here then. That would have been ooh, that would have been that would have been the end of me. That would have been the end of me. And if I had a daughter or some son or some shit like that, and my kid talked to me like that, uh-uh. Mm-mm. No, no. Mm-mm. You about to have yourself a Wendell Wallace Sr., Marie Wallace type of ass whooping I'm gonna give you. Don't you fucking ever dare talk to me like that. Are you out of your fucking mind? I'm telling you to eat your fucking vegetables, and you're gonna look at me like that and give me the old fine, we'll just stay here, or fine, I'll just stay here. Are you trying to get your ass whooped severely? Because that's exactly what you're going to happen. When I tell you to eat them goddamn vegetables, eat them goddamn vegetables. Why? Because I fucking said so. This is not a negotiation. This is not a, I'm not begging. I'm not asking. I am telling you. Why am I telling you? Because I am your father, period. End of discussion. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. Period. Fine, we'll just stay here. Shit. That's the same speech my mom would have gave. My mom, how many times did my mom say when I ask why? What, how, mom, how many times did my mom say because I said so? Would you like to whoop in that? Would you like to have that spanking now or later? Okay, where's the vegetables? Mmm, delicious. Mm. 
Man, did I hate Brussels sprouts. Man, did I hate Brussels sprouts. Hated them with a passion. Hated cabbage, too. Ooh, did I hate Brussels sprouts and cabbage. But as much as I hated Brussels sprouts and cabbage, as much as I whined and complained when I was a youngster about eating Brussels sprouts or cabbage with my meal when my mom served it, do you ever think that I would have the nerve to sit there and say, fine, I'll just stay here then. I, I ate them. I didn't like it, and I let my mom know about it, but guess what? When she said, eat them vegetables, guess what Wendell Wallace did? Ate them vegetables, because I know if I gave my mom any disrespect or backlash, like backlash in a disrespectful way, um, my dad and my mom were Hall of Fame ass whoopers. Um, yeah, if there was an ass whooping Hall of Fame, yeah, they would be in it. First ballot. <laughs> and believe me, every ass whooping that I got, I deserved Looking back, it was like, wow, yeah, I deserve that one. I earned that ass whooping. Go to school the next day. <laughs> right? You know this, right? Back in the day, you go to school the next day. You have welts on your arms, welts on your on your, on your your uh, legs and stuff. Because when you get your ass whooped, you know, with that, with that belt, you know, you put your arms out there. So, you know, because, you know, th th that shit hurt. So you put your arm out there and, you know, the belt would just hit the arms and stuff. So you go to you go to school the next day with welts, <laughs> welts on your arms and everything. The teacher will look at you and be like, eh, eh, you going to act a fool today, Wendell? No, not really. <laughs> you know, get that phone call from the teacher. Like, your son's acting up and acting a fool. Oh, you're going to disrespect me like that, huh? Okay. Well, let's have this talk about why you're being an asshole. And after we have this talk, you know what's going to be happening, right? I could have those talks from like, Ever, because I knew what was going to be at the end of the, that discussion. I knew what was coming. I knew it. You know, you take the phone off the hook. The teacher was going to call your parents that night. So you did everything you could to take the phone off the hook to make sure that, you know, you get that dial tone. So when the teacher calls, you get the, um, you get the uh, busy signal and all that kind of stuff. So that would just add even, that would just add more licks to the ass whooping. So I knew what was coming. Well, I went to school the next day, and mm -hmm, yeah, Miss Smith and Miss Chubbuck would see them uh, welts on your arm and, my, and the legs. It was like, mm-hmm, you're going to act a fool in class today? Okay. You're going to give me any trouble today, Wendell? Mm-hmm, okay. Because I've got area code 301-460. Thank you very much. I know that uh, number, and I ain't afraid to use it. Yes, sir, Mr. Smith, I'm going to be able to do, I'm going to be your best student. I'm going to do your work. I'm not going to give you any trouble. I'm not going to be the class clown. I'm... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the man. I'm definitely going to be the man. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wall is so glad that you could be with us. Fine, we'll just sit here. Shit. Well, <laughs> Wendell's World in Sports, so glad that you could be with us. College football. College football, let me get to the final four in the great sport of college football. Number one, Alabama. Number two, Michigan. Number three, Georgia. Number four, Cincinnati. The selection committee got it right. Because college football didn't give them any choice but to get it right. Couldn't mess this one up, right? Couldn't, couldn't, there's no way they could screw Cincinnati on this one. As soon as Oklahoma State fell a couple of inches short from uh, that game-winning touchdown or whatever, there there was no other play to be made. That was it. So, congratulations. I mean, you can go ahead and take your victory laps. You can go ahead and get yourselves high five. You can go ahead and have your victory parade. But, you know, that was a layup all alone. No big deal in terms of determining who the top four teams were. So, taking a look at the national uh, semifinals on December 31st in the Cotton Bowl, it's going to be number one Alabama versus number four, Cincinnati. The Orange Bowl is going to be number two ranked Michigan versus number three ranked Georgia. And the national championship game is going to be in Indianapolis January 10th. 
Alabama is back in the playoff for the seventh time in the eight years of this existence of how we determine a national championship in college football. They're eight and three in the college football playoffs with three national championships. Michigan and Cincinnati will each be making their first ever playoff appearance. Both teams became the 12th and 13th teams to earn a college football playoff spot. And Michigan is the first team to reach the CFP after being unranked in the preseason AP poll. And Alabama is the only team in the field that has won a college football playoff national championship or played more than two games in this event. Georgia making a second appearance with his first coming at the end of the 2017 season. If you remember, they're 1-1, one one, beating Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl and then losing the national championship game to Alabama 26-23 when at the halftime of that game, Alabama, Nick Saban made the decision to switch quarterback from Jalen Hurts, who was atrocious, to Tua Tungavailoa in his passing, and that was the emergence of the Tua came back and won the game 26-23 in overtime, their lone appearance. Speaking of Georgia, their lone appearance in the college football playoffs. So taking a look for those who are wondering if you had an 18 playoff this season, Alabama would be number one. They would play number eight, Mississippi. The others uh, quarterfinal would be number four, Cincinnati playing number five, Notre Dame. Number two, Michigan would be playing number seven, Baylor. And number three, ranked Georgia would be playing number six, Ohio State. So that game would be juicy. Alabama would blow out Mississippi, Notre Dame, Cincinnati. That would be competitive. I think Michigan would handle Baylor pretty well. And again, the wild card would be Georgia and Ohio State. And if you take a look at these teams, even though you have Georgia, Alabama, Cincinnati and Michigan in the playoffs for this season. I think if there was an 18 playoffs, I still think one of the dark horses or one of the real favorites would be Ohio State. Not saying they would win the doggone thing, but I think they would be um, a pretty good chance or a pretty good betting odd if you wanted to put some money on it. Going with the BCS standings, if we even want to go back a little bit further, if you're taking a look at the top 18 from what the BCS Days would have been Alabama, number one, Michigan, number two, Georgia, number three, Cincinnati, number four, Notre Dame, number five, number six, Ohio State, Baylor, number seven, and Oklahoma State, number eight. So basically, as I mentioned before, the playoff committee, you know, you know, go ahead and break your shoulder, pat yourselves on the back so much or, or all that type of thing. But uh, any playoff scenario, any playoff situation over the past decade plus or so would have those teams two teams, four teams, eight teams, whatever. They're pretty much placed the uh, same way. So Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, Cincinnati, welcome to the college football playoff semifinals. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The conference championship on Saturday, taking a look at the SEC championship, Alabama over Georgia, 41-24. to You know, I don't know about this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. I know I'm quite sure there's some folks down in Tuscaloosa or Birmingham are going to be sitting up there saying, what? Roll Tide, you got that wrong. But I'm thinking this might have been one of Nick Saban's greatest wins. Yeah, I know they have. I, I know they have. It's not. I, I just mentioned the fact about the overtime victory over Georgia to win the championship. I understand that the comeback, the situation, the decision that was made to replace Jalen Hurts with two. I understand. Know that. Understand that. But I'm just thinking, when was the last time that Alabama under Nick Saban was considered an underdog? That's why I'm saying that this might have been one of Nick Saban's greatest wins. I know he's going to say, how is this? You win an SEC championship, great. I've won, what, six or seven national championships? 
How are you going to put that anywhere near this? Being the coach at Alabama during his tenure, especially when they were rolling, when was the last time that Dick Saban was an underdog? And against Georgia, they were an underdog. And not only did they win, this was decisive. This wasn't Georgia, you know, fumbling it away and choking or anything like that late in the game or something like that. This was a situation where straight off the bat, Alabama was like, you know what, we're going to punk your asses. And that's exactly what they did. So being the master manipulator, of course, you know, um, Nick Saban talking about, uh, you know, you guys gave me some really good rat poisoning, positive rat poisoning. And, you know, normally the rat poison that you gave us, give us is fatal. But the rat poison you gave us this week was yummy. I'm giving, I'm going to go on the assumption that the rat poison this week was being underdogs and we have no chance and they barely beat Auburn's or how are they going to deal with Georgia? Normally, the rat poison you give us is fatal. These guys are awesome. Alabama's the best team in the country. These guys are going to blow through everybody. None of these teams have a chance. All Alabama needs to do is show up and win. That's fatal rat poison. This rat poison, these guys, I don't know how they're going to compete. These guys are underdogs. Georgia's going to run all over them. That was yummy rat poison. Interesting. The master manipulator of college A football players, Nick Saban, at it again. Bryce Young. I mean, I know that they had the final four for New York in terms of the Heisman Trophy is concerned, or the final four, the finalists for the Heisman Trophy, Aiden Hutchinson and CJ Stroud and Bryce Young and somebody else who I forgot, but does it really matter? I mean, in a situation like this, after the game against uh, Georgia, George, um, Bryce Young sealed up the Heisman Trophy for himself. 26-44 passing, 421 yards, three touchdown passes. Or excuse me, yeah, three touchdown passes. Ran for 40 yards, also ran for a TD. All of this against the number one defense in the country and considered one of the all-time great defenses. If you remember, Georgia came into this game only allowing six and a half points per game or 6.9 points per game or something like that. Take a look at Alabama's first six scoring drives or take a look at Alabama's six offensive scoring drives. Five of the drives covered at least 75 yards. The other one was 62, so they weren't getting them cheap. They finished the game with 536 total yards against a team that was giving up 231 yards per game. Thank you very much, Bryce Young. They converted half of their third down conversions, 14 third down conversions, while Georgia went three for 12. Thank you very much, Alabama, as a as a team uh, domination in that area. Alabama was just, you know, they played a higher level of play starting in the second quarter where they outscored Georgia 24-14 to lead at halftime 24-17. At the end of the first quarter, Georgia was up 3-0. It was like, all right, cool. But then Alabama said enough of this. And Young set the SEC championship game record for most uh, yards passing in the first half, 286. Did you see that touchdown pass, though, to um, Williams, the 67-yard touchdown pass? Good Lord have mercy. It was NFL, NFL, NFL type speed type it was it was awesome it was a beauty to watch man it was uh it was pretty good so that td pass to him was the longest play georgia had given up this season and bama scoring 24 points in the second quarter alone georgia in the 12 games combined in the first half only allowed 29 
Alabama scored 24 in the second quarter alone. Thank you very much for that Heisman Trophy, says Mr. Young. I'll just take that. I'll just take that for me. Thank you very much. It's going to add to my number of NIL endorsements and everything. So yes, as unlike years before, where winning a national, uh, winning a Heisman Trophy was, yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. That's awesome. Now it's going to mean mean money, 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 more money, more opportunities, more cars, more everything that. Uh, you can really sink your teeth into. So there you go. So Alabama, doing Alabama-type things, inconsistent during the season. Um, you know, I really can't get into, really not going to get into breaking it down because as I'm recording this on a Wednesday afternoon, man, I, I, I don't know exactly what Alabama team is going to show up. I don't know if they're going to be, I don't know if this is going to be the team that we're going to be seeing on December 31st against uh, Cincinnati. I don't know. I don't know, is this going to be the team, or is this going to be, or they're going to be the team that played uh, like they did against Auburn or LSU or Florida? I think those were the three worst performances. Even I mean, you know, we spoke, we speak about, or the one loss to Texas A and M. I think their wins against LSU and Auburn and Florida. I think they played much worse in those games than they did in the loss to um, Texas A&M. So what Alabama team we're going to be getting? I don't know. You give Nick Saban, what, about uh, three and a half weeks to get things going? We'll see what he comes up with. Talent-wise, there's no, you know, question. If we're going to be taking about talking about the talent between Alabama and uh, Cincinnati, but, you know, who knows? Who knows, man? It's not like Cincinnati, even though being a non-Power 5 school, this isn't like them being one double A. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. If you're Georgia, though, speaking about now Georgia on Wendell's World and Sports Podcast with George Truly, Wendell Wallace. If you're Georgia, reality check after a loss like this, huh? If you're a Georgia fan, what are you thinking? You have to question about what the hell is going on concerning the uh, Bulldogs. How good are they? After a loss like this, you question everything, don't you? How good are we? Can can we really beat Alabama? I mean, we go ahead and we smoke Michigan and play Alabama. What's going to be our confidence level? Now, maybe their confidence level, if they go ahead and they beat Michigan pretty well, maybe they'll get some of their swagger back. Maybe they'll get some of their confidence back. Maybe they'll get some of their, uh, you know, belief back. But still, can you, is Georgia, can Georgia really beat Alabama? I mean, are they just the second best team in college football only behind Alabama? Is that going to be something that you'll be able to chew on and and be able to deal with? Is that the truth? I don't know. This is not a situation where you lost close. This was a situation where you were pretty much uh, dominated. And it goes back then to how dominant is their defense? They didn't allow more than 17 points in the game during their perfect regular season. They give up 41? Now, one was a pick six, so on defense, they give up 34? And I just read you all the numbers, how Bryce Young did a number on them. Oh, and by the way, Alabama on offense with the running game, not existed for the most part. That's still something that they need to work on. So Alabama basically being one-dimensional, put up 536 total yards against a team in a unit that was being talked about as historically great. If you're Georgia, where are we going here? What are we talking about? What are we thinking about? Was Saturday night just an off night for Georgia? Or are there just matchups with Bama that they have no answer for? You would think that's not the answer, right? So what was it? 
Was it hubris on their part? Did they take Alabama lightly? It couldn't have been that. I mean, I don't know. And everybody, everybody's going to be pointing to Stetson Bennett, right? How many points can Georgia score against Alabama? You know, can Stetson, is Stetson Bennett be, is he good enough to stand play for play with Bryce Young? Can Georgia's defense make it possible for that not to happen? And JT Daniels, we got about a month to get JC, JT Daniels ready to play. Well, if JT Daniels was better than Stetson Bennett, wouldn't Kirby Smart have played him by now? If it's close, why would you not play Stetson Bennett? And what's the it's is the difference between JT Daniels and Stetson Bennett so great that it means that if you play JT Daniels that you're gonna have a real chance to beat Alabama in the championship game if they get past Michigan? If Stetson Bennett is good enough to get past Michigan, why is he not good enough to get past Alabama? Or at least I should say I should say this. If Stetson Bennett is good enough to get Georgia at the quarterback, whatever role he has, if it's if even if it's the same role that Mac Jones played with New England against Buffalo on Monday night, if that's going to be Stetson Bennett, is JT Daniels? I mean, JT Daniels all of a sudden is going to come off the bench and be that guy? If he's that dy- that dynamic, if he's that much of a difference maker, why wasn't he put back in the lineup once he? got over his injury issues. Kirby Smart being stubborn, Kirby Smart not wanting to ruin a good thing. I mean, we've already seen it before with Kirby Smart, his unwillingness to play unbridled talent over a really good game manager, see Jake from State From over Justin Fields, which caused Fields to transfer to Ohio State, and we saw what happened, the impact that he had with Ohio State. I mean, what, 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 what? I, I I don't know. I don't know. And as I mentioned before, if Stetson Bennett is going to play quarterback, if Georgia makes it to the championship game, they have the opportunity to play Alabama. Is that defense going to be good enough to say, well, don't worry about it. You're not going to have to have Stetson Bennett go toe for toe, blow for blow, pad for pass, drive for drive with Bryce Young, because we're going to be good enough to uh, take that out of his hands. But then again, that defense, we thought that defense for Georgia was going to do that in the first place before Alabama put 24 points up in the second quarter and Bryce Young had a quarter from from heaven if you're Alabama. So, I mean, you know, Bennett wasn't a problem. Let's put it this way. Against Alabama, Bennett wasn't the, wasn't the reason why um, Georgia lost that game. He threw for 340 yards, three touchdown passes. Yeah, he had two crucial interceptions. Yeah, Jordan Battle at the 12-minute mark in the fourth quarter intercepted the intercepted this pass, scored to make it 38-17. That's okay. Guess what, guys? Bryce Young has also thrown plenty of interceptions. Not plenty, but Bryce Young has thrown interceptions. If you take a look at the history of great quarterbacks, they've, they've all thrown interceptions. I know that as soon as, uh, you know, Stetson Bennett to fit the narrative, once he makes a bad play, I know, as I mentioned before, to fit the narrative, people are going to say, see, I told you. Told you, told you, told you. This is what happens. JT Daniels is going to do any better? JC Daniel, JT Daniels is going to be that much better? Look, Georgia running game, they only average three and a half yards per carry on 30 attempts. Georgia threw the ball 48 times, and they ran it 30 times. Stetson Bennett throwing the ball that much against Alabama is not going to give Georgia the best chance to win. Guess what? JT Daniels. Throwing the ball 48 times against Alabama 
is not the recipe for victory if you're Georgia. Running the ball for only three and a half yards per carry? That's on offense where the disappointment uh, was at. So, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Against Alabama this past weekend, maybe it's a situation where, look, for the first time all season, George can sit there and talk about, yeah, 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 we're going to play Alabama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know that Alabama, they're not they're not um, Vanderbilt. <clears throat> they're not... Um, Tennessee, they're not some of uh, they're not Georgia Tech, they're not some they're not some of the cupcakes or some of the inferior talented schools that we've been playing against. Oh so, yeah, 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 man. But until you see them, this is the first time those guys have seen Bryce Young. This is the first time they've seen this uh, version of Calif- of, uh, of of Alabama. Man, you, you don't know what you're really in for. I mean, this is the first time all season, even including Clemson that Georgia played a team of such high quality of talent, especially at the skill positions. I mean, the last time that Georgia played a ranked team was October 16th against Kentucky, where they won 30 to 13. Kentucky's not on the same level as Alabama. The best teams Georgia's played this season. Okay. They beat Clemson at the beginning of the year when they were ranked number three. As far as that ranking is concerned with the Clemson fraudulent Arkansas in week five, they were ranked number eight. And then they played at Auburn when they were ranked number 18. And then after that, they played Kentucky, who was, I believe, ranked, what, number 11th, or ranked 11th or something like that. After that, that's it. After that, it was Florida, Missouri, Tennessee, Charleston Southern, Georgia Tech. I mean, then all of a sudden you move from that to play uh, Alabama. Maybe it's a situation if you're a Georgia fan, it's like, okay. Georgia had a little taste of what Alabama was all about. Now that we got that taste in our mouth, now we kind of know what what recipe would we need to cook up to uh, make that taste in our mouth turn from bitter to sweet. So we'll see. We'll see. But, you know, it was a decisive victory for Alabama. But I'm not going to uh, hand them the championship just yet because I still think either the rematch against Georgia or playing Michigan I think that could still be a ball game. I'm not saying that Alabama's going to lose, but I think that uh, the 41-24 the 41, uh, beatdown that Alabama gave Georgia is not a harbinger for things to come if they meet in a rematch. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. <clears throat> Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Very quickly, I want to speak about uh, what happened because in the Big Ten Championship big deal Michigan embarrassed Iowa 42-3 clinching their first Big Ten title in 17 years what the damn do um, and I will say this though everybody's talking about this is vindication for Jim Harbaugh hey hey Jim Harbaugh can rub it in all the critics and everything and this that, and the other all the criticism he deserved before the season Look, everything people were saying about Jim Harbaugh is true all the criticism that Jim Harbaugh received was true now i don't think he should have been fired i don't think that um you know i think it might have been a little bit over the top but not really but i never thought jim harbaugh should be fired or jim harbaugh was a bust or jim harbaugh was a was a mistake that if we would have been able to get this guy or that guy that michigan would be rolling with national championships and beating ohio state every single year and being one of the you know, premier college football team, but we just want to hire this guy instead of Jim Harbaugh and Jim Harbaugh needs to go and we need to hire someone else who can unleash and unlock the, you know, dynasty, which is the Michigan football, college football program. I I wasn't of that line of thinking, but all of the stuff that he received in terms of criticism was fair. 
look, you couldn't beat the two teams that you had to beat sometimes. You couldn't beat Michigan State. You couldn't beat Ohio State. After losing to Michigan State on Halloween this season, Harbaugh was 3-9 and nine against Michigan State and Ohio State. He had never beaten Ohio State. And the last couple of times that he played Ohio State, he got his ass, he got his ass kicked. And just speaking about recruiting battles, going after the best talent, Ohio State was running laps around Michigan. Against top 10 teams after losing to Michigan State, Harbaugh was 2-13. and 13. Yeah, yeah, you're going to get criticized. If you're one of the highest paid coaches when you came in for the gig and you know what the expectations are and you know what the responsibilities are and goes back again to how much money you're making, yeah, you can't go 2-13 and 13 against top 10 teams. Some of the some of the games that you played and got your ass whooped and got embarrassed a couple of years ago against Wisconsin where they just punked you and they just beat you and they just embarrassed you. You can't go 2-13. and 13, You can't go 3-9 and nine against uh, clearly inferior during that time Michigan State squad and get your ass whooped by Ohio State and have us go, hey, but Jim Harbaugh stole the bees knees. We, we have to criticize. You have to criticize. How could you not criticize? So, yeah, of course he should have received all that criticism. Again, the nonsense about, um, you know, he should be fired. That's a little bit over the top. For me, for me, that is. But, hey, man, you know, you can't make $8 million a year, get your ass kicked by Ohio State every year, and lose to Michigan State and not beat anybody in the uh, top 10 and not face criticism. So this vindication nonsense, I don't know what the hell they were talking about. But that was nonsense. That was always bullshit. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I want to now. I want to now get to Cincinnati because Oklahoma State Baylor really isn't worth our time talking about. Bad, bad football game. The Bearcats winning the AAC championship game over Houston, 35 to 20. Cincinnati, the only team this season that's undefeated. They're the first group of the five programs, the non-power five programs to make the college football playoff. Congratulations. Let's always remember, though, that they made the playoffs because they deserved it and the committee had no choice, right? After after Baylor beat Oklahoma State, that's it. That's it. They were done. And Oklahoma State didn't look like a championship contender against Baylor. I'm, I'm sorry. Even if they would have won that game, even though Cincinnati would have been replaced by Oklahoma State, Cincinnati, even with the Baylor win, deserved to be in the playoffs. That, just taking a look at, you know, the games that they played or the the uh, conference championship games that they played, Cincinnati was a uh, was a better team if you took a look at those two performances. So, as I mentioned before, the only undefeated team at 13-0. and um, You know, and, and again... You can make the argument if you're Georgia or Alabama or Ohio State or Michigan or Utah, maybe Notre Dame, that, man, give us Cincinnati's schedule. We, we, believe me, we're going 13-0 and also. Okay, but guess what? Cincinnati's 13-0. Over the past two years, they've proved to be one of the better teams in uh, college football. And as I mentioned before, the ACC, Big 12, Pac-12, all had multiple loss conference champions in 2021. That's the first time in the playoff era that three power five uh, that three power five leagues have had two lost champions. You want to ask how Cincinnati got into the playoffs? That's how they had to be undefeated and have everybody else around them be in complete complete chaos. That's how they got in. So we have Cincinnati versus Alabama, right? 
So basically, it's going to be a situation with what's Cincinnati going to have to do to gain the respect of those of importance, the playoff committee and such, that they deserve to be in the playoffs. It's a a situation where, look, being a minority, we know how this rolls, right? We know how this is. The minority, the first of anyone, of anything, doing something that the privileged, the majority, thought you couldn't do, didn't want you to achieve, they're always going to have to greatly overachieve, right? As a black man, I understand that not only do I have to be better than those from across the tracks of a different skin color than me, not only do I have to be better, I have to be much better. Because for the most part, if I'm the same or a little bit better, chances are that person will be given that promotion or that person will be given that job or that person will be given that opportunity over me. So whether you're black, whether you're Hispanic, whether you're a woman, whether you're gay, we always know the reality is you have to be a lot better to get the respect that you really deserve. And you're going to be graded, you're going to be judged on a much different scale. So there's a situation where, look, a strong situation where strong possibility that Alabama's going to blow out Cincinnati. And everybody's going to say, see, 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 I told you. I told you Cincinnati was a fraud. I told you that Cincinnati was no good. I told you Cincinnati shouldn't have been there. I told you that, uh, you know, this, that, and the other. Power five, this, that, and the other. Inferior competition, this, that, and the other. Playing against one of the big boys. I told you this, that, and the other. All of that nonsense, all of that narrative, all of that discussion, all of those opinions are going to be shouted from the hilltops. Shouted from the hilltops of Stillwater, Oklahoma. Shouted from the hilltops of Waco, Texas. Shouted from the hilltops of Eugene, Oregon. Shouted from the hilltops of Columbus, uh, Columbus, Ohio, right? Told you, see, told you, told you. If those, if Cincinnati was in the Big Ten, if Cincinnati was in the uh, SEC, wouldn't be close, this, that, and the other. The chances of a blowout happening in the national semifinals are great regardless if Cincinnati is playing or not. In the seven years of the existence of the national championship semifinal games, 14 semifinal games, right? Only three have been close. You take Ohio State and Alabama in the Sugar Bowl in 2015 where the Buckeyes with uh, Cardell Jones beat uh, number one seeded Alabama. You take a look at the Rose Bowl in 2018 where you had Georgia and Oklahoma where Georgia beat the uh, Sooners in double overtime and then at the end some of the Georgia players were talking smack to Baker Mayfield who was talking smack before the game and then you take a look at the Fiesta Bowl in 2019 with Ohio State and Clemson in which Trevor Lawrence beat uh, Justin Fields uh, because the receiver for Ohio State went left and Justin Fields threw it right. It was intercepted game over. Other than that, the other games have been blowouts. Every other semifinal playoff semifinal game has been decided by double digits. 10 of the 14 games have been decided by 17 points. Notre Dame and Oklahoma, yes, Oklahoma, were blown out multiple times. Non-football power programs like Washington and Michigan State, their one time that they had a chance to get into the uh, playoffs, they were blown out. Chris Peterson's Washington team and... uh, Mike D'Antoni's uh, Michigan State squad were blown out. I mean, Washington looked like little kids when they played against Alabama. I think they lost like a 31 to nothing, or Michigan State lost 31 to 38 to nothing, something like that. But it was embarrassing. It was a rout. So we're not going to hold. We're, we're not going to hold Washington and Michigan State and Notre Dame and Oklahoma. That's entirely different. They're blowouts, right? 
Cincinnati is going to get blown out and there's going to be this huge, oh, I told you. So Cincinnati, the, the, the pressure's on them because now the narrative is going to be set. As I mentioned before, they're going to be the first one from the non-Power 5 conference until 2024 or 2025 when hopefully this bullshit, this nonsense of a college football playoff will change and we move from four teams to 12 teams. Until then, Cincinnati is going to be judged by this game. And from what they do, what they accomplish, how they compete, against Alabama in this game is going to determine for the next couple of years the next Cincinnati type team from the non-Power 5 conference what their chances of getting in Cincinnati is going to have a huge impact on how much weight that next Cincinnati team next season whether it be Houston or SMU whatever a non-Power 5 school before the committee or before college football changes from 4 teams to 8 or 12 teams this game against Ohio, excuse me, this game against Alabama is going to determine that because if Cincinnati goes out there and gets their ass whooped and gets blown out and gets embarrassed, the next time a Cincinnati-type team is in the same position that Cincinnati was in this season, what is the narrative going to be from the Big 12? What's the narrative going to be from the champion of the Pac-12 or the ACC? Why in the hell are you putting the non-Power 5 school in the Final Four, when we saw what happened a couple of years ago or last year with Cincinnati. we already proven that the Power 5 schools are not worthy to be in the college football playoffs in the semifinals based on what we saw when Cincinnati went up against Alabama. That's going to be the narrative. If Cincinnati gets blown out by um, Alabama. You see, you, you see, Oklahoma can get their asses whooped by LSU, and no one's going to be sitting there talking about, well, see, I told you, teams from the Big 12, they don't have the, uh, they shouldn't have a real opportunity to get into the uh, national uh, semifinal games, because if you remember what, uh, you know, Oklahoma has done, how their track record has been in their games against the, um, once, once they get into the playoffs, so somehow, someway, we're going to hold that against them when a Baylor, or a TCU, or a, or a Texas, or one of these other teams from the Pac-12, you know, come and win their conference and win their conference championship for the most part they're going to have a true shot at getting into the college football playoffs for someone like a Cincinnati from someone like an AAC school or something like that someone of a Boise State when they were rolling when they were the uh, little team from the little conference that could and how they were getting disrespectful, disrespected. Hell, we'll just put them into a uh, New Year's Day Bowl. That'll be good enough. That will appease them. We won't really give them the opportunity to play for a championship. We'll put them in the Fiesta Bowl, or we'll put them in the uh, Cotton Bowl, and we'll give them an attaboy. That's what the reward will be. Bullshit. This is our record. This is our resume. We need to be in the playoffs. Nah, not really. Because you're from a Power 5 conference, who have you really played? Like, take a look at your strength of schedule. So we'll put this team from the SEC or the Big 10 or the Big 12 or something like that. We'll put those guys in there instead of you because of the conference that you're in compared to the conference that they're in. Cincinnati is going to be facing that. Cincinnati, I hate to say this, it's going to be ha- it has a lot of weight on their shoulders from the quote-unquote little guy from the now non-Power 5 conference. Because if they go and they get their doors blown open by Alabama, it's going to shut the door for another Power 5 conference to get in until the league expands or the playoff expands from four games to 12 games. So, you know, that's what's going to be on the line for 
Cincinnati moving forward. I, I hope that they play a competitive game. I really do. But, um, you know, from an outsider who the insiders don't want sitting at their table, they don't want them in their club. They don't want them participating. It's going to be like when the NFL and the AFL, you know how devastating it was when the uh, New York Jets finally beat the um, Baltimore Colts in Super Bowl three, and Carol Rosenblum was beyond embarrassed and some owners of the National Football League were beyond livid and embarrassed because how could you let that little rinky-dink startup league beat us in the Super Bowl when the Baltimore Colts were considered one of the greatest teams of football that not just not just that season but considered one of the best football teams of all time with Mike Curtis and Bubba Smith and um in that in that squad Earl Morrill won the MVP that year and you had those guys and they lose to the New York flipping Jets with Joe Namath talking about I wouldn't we're going to win the game I guarantee it just to add salt in the wound saying that before the game I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but you know what? Cincinnati is like the New York Jets. Cincinnati is like that AFL football team. And the Alabamas and the um, Georgias and the Michigans, they're the NFL. And they don't want to see non-Power 5 schools doing anything in terms of having some real success. That goes not just for the Power 5 schools, but also that selection committee, that bullshit nonsense selection committee. So... Here's rooting for Cincinnati to be doing some things, man. Here's rooting for Cincinnati to, uh, if you're not going to win, at least play well because the ramifications, both positive and negative, are going to be long-lasting. Final segment of the podcast, final segment of the program, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. I was going to go ahead and talk about the NBA. I wanted to go ahead and take a look at some things. The Damian Lillard situation, Lillard comes out and says, nah, man, nothing to see here. I'm not looking to be traded. I'm not angry. I know that Sean Sharania of The Athletic was reporting that there's been some friction between Chauncey Billups and the um, Blazers players and such and with Neil O'Shea being fired because basically he's an asshole and didn't know how to act like a proper human being uh, when he was put to the task of uh, overseeing the organization of the Trailblazers so he's no longer with 
the organization. So he was the one that brought in Chauncey Billups and Billups had some issues that really weren't addressed uh, when he was hired about some things that he did in the past concerning sexual assault with a woman, but all of those things Damian Lillard said are not uh, not uh, going to make a decision in him asking for a trade or anything like that. So I'll speak about that a little bit later on. Maybe I'll put that on my YouTube content. Oh, by the way, coming up on my YouTube content, putting together something for Friday, probably going to come out Saturday, about uh, December 10th and 11th. Two of my heroes, historical heroes, Otis Redding and Sam Cooke. I do this every year. did it when I... Uh, we're doing my podcast, but now since I'm putting some video things together, I want to give a tribute to uh, Sam Cooke and Otis Redding, both passing away on that same day, December 10th, December 11th. Dan- Sam Cooke went down 1964. Otis Redding died 1967. Two of my uh, all-time historical heroes, along with Malcolm X and such. So I want to uh, give a little tribute to that. So that's what I'm putting down on my YouTube, Wendell's World and Sports. So go check that out if you want to. It's going to be dropping on Saturday. And as I mentioned before, I'm going to be doing some stuff on the NBA, also talking about the NBA. So check that out also on my YouTube account. But I want to end with the coaching carousel in college football. You know, we thought that maybe it was a little bit quiet, stopped going around and around and around and around when Lincoln Riley went to USC and when. Brian Kelly went to LSU. Well, the carousel keeps it going. The biggest coaching news, Notre Dame named defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman as his next head football coach. Going to become the second black head coach for Notre Dame's football program since Tyrone Willingham back in 2002 and 2004. Freeman has no coaching experience, but the last four coaches hired to uh, head the Irish program without head coaching experience. Mixed reviews, Charlie Weiss, bad, Bob Davey, worse, Jerry Faust, the worst of them all, and Terry Brennahan uh, wasn't around to uh, see that tenure, but uh, we'll see. It was a situation with Freeman being named the head coach just to keep continuity when you think about it. Um, It was a situation to keep the recruits, and one thing about Freeman is that he is a strong recruiter, And the fact that he was able to bring in some talent, the fact that now Notre Dame is going to be looking to go into homes, looking to go into recruiting places that uh, under Bob Davey and under other coaches and uh, under Brian Kelly didn't have an opportunity to do that. Marcus Freeman now, a young cat, 35 years old, he's going to be able to go into some of the public schools in Chicago. He's going to try to infiltrate some of the uh, recruiting grounds in Florida. He's going to try to infiltrate some of the recruiting grounds in Pennsylvania and Ohio and such. And, um, you know, he's young, he's uh, relatable. Most of the staff that worked under Kelly is going to remain at Notre Dame. So, again, there's some continuity there. The players were giddy, the alumni were giddy, everybody was giddy about the hire. So, we'll see what happens. He's going to have his first chance coming up, I believe, in the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State. And it's, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time. Now, Notre Dame has a good recruiting class. In his introductory speech, Freeman, with his six kids, beautiful wife, was already speaking about, hey, look, man, I'm looking to compete for a national championship next season. Forget four- or five-year plans. I'm talking about winning a national championship. I'm talking about going up against the Nick Sabans and the Kirby Smarts and the Ryan Days and the Jim Harbaugh's of the world next season, not uh, in a couple of years. So we'll see. What happens with that? Other coaching moves. Oklahoma announced the hiring of former Clemson defensive coordinator Brent Venables. 
Venables was a guy who worked on the Oklahoma staff uh, from 2004 to 2011, where he was the defensive coordinator. So even though Oklahoma didn't get the top tier uh, head coach, maybe of a Luke Fickle or maybe someone of that of that caliber, this was a situation where they got somebody who is known amongst the um, high school coaches, knows the recruiting area, knows what he has to do. Of course, the big deal is going to be when Oklahoma moves to the SEC, is he going to be able to go up against the Kirby Smarts and the Brian Kellys and the um, <clears throat> Jimbo Fishers and the Nick Sabans of the world. So moving with that, I think Oklahoma didn't get themselves a native son, but again, they got themselves somebody who uh, understands exactly what's happening, uh, knows the recruiting avenues and byways and highways very well around that area. I think that uh, he'll do well with the fan base. He'll think he'll do well with the alumni. I think that he'll do well um, with the fan base out there also. So ESPN sources told ESPN that he plans to hire Ole Miss offensive coordinator Jeff Leiby as the offensive coordinator. So you take the acumen that Venables has with him being a defensive coordinator and then the fact that um, Leiby was one of the uh, really good offensive coordinators uh, this past season and a couple of seasons. The Rebels of Mississippi were ranked fourth nationally in total offense, over 500 yards per game, putting a lot of juice into the Lane Kiffin-led offense. So, again, the only questions that really remain is how is he going to do? How is he going to do as far as the recruiting is concerned, and then competing in the SEC? Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. And finally, last uh, but not least, Mario Cristobal and Miami agreed to come to terms on a contract that exceed eight million dollars per year. Miami looking to rebuild the U back the way it was in the uh, 1980s when they were the most powerful program in college football you're speaking about the best recruiting base in the united states forget texas forget uh california forget southern california forget uh northern pennsylvania forget uh, western pennsylvania and ohio and all that such the best players are coming out of florida and if they can rebuild that program and there's some talk now that they're trying to build themselves a fifty thousand uh uh seat stadium there's situations where they're trying to upgrade the facilities which are beyond ancient to uh start attracting some folks you have florida it's miami florida it's coral gables florida that in itself should be able to attract a lot of the homegrown top tier talent mario cristobal is a ferocious recruiter who is not going to back down from anybody so the kirby smarts and the Lincoln Riley's and the Nick Saban's of the world and the Ryan Days of the world and the Dabo Sweeney's of the world that used to go into uh, Florida and raid that state because, you know, you take a look, Florida was down in recruiting because of their coaching hires. Florida International is a joke. Central Florida is not up to tier. All of the schools, all of the major D1 schools within that area really weren't equipped with the type of coach and recruiter that could go ahead and keep those high class, those um, five stars, those NFL first round draft pick special talents away from leaving Florida and going to Tuscaloosa and Norman and Eugene and Columbus and Clemson, South Carolina and such. Now they have a guy in Cristobal who can build that wall around the Miami-Dade County and up and down the coast of Florida, going into Jacksonville, going into 
Tampa, going into Orlando, keep the uh, recruits there. The way that he was hired, uh, not coacher, but, you know, welcome to big-time college football, man. If you want to win, you just sometimes got to hurt somebody's feelings, and the Manny Diaz gets screwed. Yeah, but, uh, you know, too bad. Win more football games, and uh, that wouldn't happen to you. Oregon now is in need of a coach, and there's reports that Lane Kiffin could be possible as the next head coach. Lane Kiffin in Mississippi never saw that connection, so I'm guessing that Lane Kiffin is looking to uh, get out of there and just talking about a place like Oregon where you can have Phil Knight at the guy uh, making sure that, uh, you know, you're able to compete, especially now with Lincoln Riley in the fold. I think that would be a quite uh, delicious and juicy and tasty type of rivalry if you could get Lane Kiffin up in Oregon going up against um, Lincoln Riley in USC. One thing we know about Lane Kiffin, He's not afraid to uh, rattle the cage. He's not afraid to poke the bear. He's not uh, afraid to do any of those things. So it would make for interesting, interesting fodder to guys who are still young in their coaching professions to uh, go ahead and battle it out. One at LS, one at USC, and the other one at Oregon. All right, I'm out of here. Time for the game. Thank you everybody for listening to the podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, review. The most entertaining, unique, thought-provoking sports talk podcast going. My Georgetown Hoyas are going to be coming in in a couple of minutes. Let's go. Let's go. We can do this. UMBC, you are in some trouble. Remember, dropping my YouTube special dedication tribute to Sam Cooke and Otis Redding, two of my heroes, two of my idols. Be safe. Be good. Treat each other with respect. Dignity. Love. Harmony. Because, man, that's exactly what this society needs right now. Music. Music.